If you have a Bible, please do me a favor and close it. No peeking. Today's passage is a familiar text. It's one that you know. It's one that you've heard multiple times. It's one that you don't even need to be a Christian to know because it's found its way into our culture as an expression and as, in some cases, laws on college campuses. And so, with that in mind, let's go ahead and read our text. So now you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And again, as we read this, we don't want our eyes to glaze over. We don't want to think that we already know everything that we're going to hear, because we always want to come to God's Word with fresh eyes. We always want to come with a sense of expectation that he's going to speak and reveal new things to us. So Luke 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he answered, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, that is the lawyer, answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, And he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Fathers, we examine this text on the so-called Good Samaritan. Please don't let our hearts wander. Please show us again with fresh eyes what you want us to see. Amen. So back in 1973, there were some researchers at Princeton University, and they had a theory that knowing Jesus would not actually make you any better of a person than if you never knew Jesus. And they decided to put that to the test. So if you were going to test that out, where would you go? Well, they decided, let's go to a seminary. So they went to a seminary, and they decided to run an experiment 
on the people studying to become pastors. And so this experiment went as follows. They gave them a text to preach. Some people got the same text, others got various texts. They were told to prepare a sermon. And then on the day that they were going to give the sermon, they came in and the committee said, oh, actually, your sermon is going to be given on the opposite end of campus. Oh, and look at the time. You're already running a little bit late. You better hurry. So these guys scampered off trying to get to the other side of campus. And as they were going along the way, they had to go through an alley that was pretty narrow. It was only about four feet wide. And laying in the middle of this alley, the researchers had staged a man in shabby clothes, laying as though he was passed out. And because the alleyway was so narrow, the only way to get around this man was to literally step over him. And most of them actually did that. When the researchers were all done, they found that only about four out of ten, less than half, less than half of future pastors stopped to help somebody who was very clearly slumped in the middle of the road. What does that say? Ironically, by the way, I told you that they were assigned to preach a text. You know what text they were assigned to preach? This one, on the Good Samaritan. Many of them would be preaching on the Good Samaritan while acting just like the priest and the Levite. And now, atheists love to talk about this experiment. They love to talk about it because it shows that all too often in our lives, there is this yawning gulf between what we say and what we do with loving our neighbors. It shows that although you and I might like to think that we would behave like the Good Samaritan, we're much more inclined to act like the priest and the Levite. In short, it shows that we make the command, love your neighbor, avoidably abstract. We make that avoidably abstract. So in our text today, Jesus is approached by a lawyer. That word literally means an expert in the Jewish Levitical law. Look back with me at the first few verses, 25 through 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, that's Jesus, Jesus said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So again, this guy is a lawyer. He knows the Levitical law. If you look on the internet today, you'll find that most rabbis, most Jewish scholars identified 600, 613, 613 separate commands in the Levitical law. And you may not have noticed, but in this passage, there are two Old Testament quotes. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That, that's from Deuteronomy 6. And the other one, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is from Leviticus 19. So this expert in the law who knows all 613 commands, it's his job to know all that, 
he asks Jesus, hey, will two of these, will two out of that 613 list, will two of those cut it? Will that be enough? And that's strange, isn't it? I'm not a teenager, but back when I was living with my parents, I would occasionally be asked to clean my room. I'd have a couple of clothes laying around. And never once when my mom said, Ben, would you clean your room, did I say, excuse me, what do you mean by clean? If I just pick up one sock and fold it, is that, is that good enough? Does that cut it? Is that enough? It's kind of weird to think, you know, two commandments, two things could just summarize all 613. But Jesus says, yes, two will cut it. These two commands, love God, love people, they sum up the entirety of the law. And it sounds so easy as an added bonus. Love God, love people. And this guy apparently thinks that it is easy. Love God. He has the audacity to say, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Check. Did it. But tell me about my neighbor, Jesus. Tell me about loving my neighbor. How do I do that? And so because this guy is an expert in the law and because he thinks that he's done such a good job of following the law, he asks Jesus to define his neighbor. But he's about to get way more than he bargained for because Jesus is about, because Jesus is about to show concrete neighboring. You and I make loving our neighbor avoidably abstract, but Jesus makes it unavoidably concrete. So given this background, why does Jesus tell the story of the Good Samaritan? The story is not an isolated story. Jesus did not go up on a mountain one day. He did not sit in a boat one day and start saying, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. No, he says this story in response to a question. This man who's asking the question, this story is made for him. It's also for us, but it's for him. So why does Jesus show us unavoidably concrete neighboring? Well, first of all, Jesus shows us this kind of neighboring to show us our lack of love. When the lawyer quotes Leviticus 19, verse 18 of Jesus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, that's only half of the verse in Leviticus. You want the full verse? Here it is. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the full verse from Leviticus. And so from that perspective, loving your neighbor seems like something you can just do in your head, right? And our culture today has that same kind of viewpoint on love. All too often in American culture today, loving someone is a synonym for just tolerate them, don't be mad at them, don't be angry at them, put up with them, smile at them, wave, be friendly if you see them but don't actually open your heart and don't actually care about them. Just play nice. And so this kind of love is pitifully incomplete compared to what the law really demands. Let's look back at verses 30 when Jesus starts this story. 30 through 32. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers 
who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. You know, both the priest and the Levite, we forget about them, don't we? Because the story is the story of the Good Samaritan. And sometimes I think, I know in my own life, when I read lists in the Bible, I tend to forget the first items in the list and focus on the last one. So this is the story of a guy one, guy two, and the Good Samaritan. But you have to remember those first two people who run across this man laying on the road. They are both also experts in the law. That's pretty strange, isn't it? Not really. An expert in the law asks Jesus. Jesus says, let me show you two other experts in the law. They come across this guy. They know that they're supposed to love their neighbor. But whatever they think that means, it doesn't mean actually stopping to help him. It doesn't mean getting down on their hands and knees and bandaging up his wounds. In fact, the text says that when they saw him, they intentionally moved to the other side of the road. Right? So that's not just, you know, they're walking along, looking around, and they just didn't see the guy, and they just walked by. No, it's not that. They saw him. They intentionally moved to get around him. They deliberately ignored this guy. Now, biblical scholars have identified a number of reasons why they wouldn't want to touch this guy, right? And they all, from lack of better term, they all boil down to convenience. If this guy was actually dead and they touched him, they would become unclean. And it's a pain to go through the rite of purification. It's inconvenient. And so, you know, they might have, they, they excused themselves, didn't they? They avoided this guy by making loving him abstract. Oh, you know, I'm not going to touch him, but I'll walk by and maybe I'll say a prayer for him. But I'm not actually going to open my heart. I'm not actually going to expose myself to the cost of loving my neighbor. And I have to wonder, how often do we do the same thing? Now, you and I probably have never driven by or walked by and seen someone laying on the side of the road who was bleeding, needed help, And if they did, we would stop to help them. But if you've driven around Utica, you've seen people standing on street corners asking for money. And it is so easy and so tempting when you see them to look away and awkwardly wait for the light to change so that you can go on through. Okay, or what about closer to home, right? How many of us have neighbors, whether they're neighbors on our block or neighbors in our complex, or neighbors in our dorm, or wherever we live, neighbors who we have awkward encounters with, right? You see them, and then you pretend that you didn't see them, and you walk on by, you hurry in your house, you hurry in your car because you don't want to make small talk with them. In fact, our culture is so abysmally bad at neighboring that two different pastors decided to write a book on it. So a few years ago, a church I attended went through a book study on this. It's called The Art of Neighboring, Building Genuine Relationships Right Outside Your Door. And so the pastors who wrote this book, they came up with a little test you could do. You draw a three-by-three grid like a tic-tac-toe board. You put your house in the middle, 
And in the eight squares around it, you put your eight closest neighbors. So if you live in a house, obviously it's the eight people around you. If you live in an apartment, just list the eight people closest to you. And you write down three things in each square. You write down the names of your neighbor. You write one fact that you could not find out just by looking at them. So, sorry to pick on Vin, but I see Vin there's got a purple tie on. Right? I can see that just by looking at it. But if I knew a fact about Vin that I wouldn't know just by looking at him, that's the second thing that I write down. And then the third thing that goes in the box is a prayer request for your neighbor. And when they did this with a variety of people, they found, statistically speaking, only about 10% of Americans can write down the names of all of their neighbors. That means 90% of us are living next to functional strangers. You don't actually know who, the names of the people who live around you. And it gets worse from there, right? Only about 3% can write in one fact beyond just, well, they've got a red car. They live in a blue house. And then less than 1% can do a prayer request for every neighbor on their block. All right? Can you name your neighbors? Or have you, like the priest and Levite, decided to awkwardly avoid them? Now, if you're like me, you know, I'm not, I'm not high and mighty. I don't know the names of all of my neighbors. I know that if I was going to do that test, I would fail. Let's bring it even closer to home. What about in here, right? Look at the people around where you're sitting right now. Look at the person in front of you. It's less awkward. They can't look back to see that you're looking at them. Look at the person in front of you. What's their name? All right, now everyone in the audience, look back. This one will be awkward. You'll have people creating their heads around. Look back, look back. What's their name? And brothers and sisters, I don't say this to shame you. I don't say this to make anyone feel bad. But sometimes we have to ask ourselves whether we really know people as well as we'd like to say that we do. We might say that we love everyone at our church, but then we just pop in and we pop out and we don't form deep relationships with anyone. And that is... I've seen Fletch cry on stage. I'm not going to try not to do that. That's sad. It is sad when we don't know the people around us. Oh, I did not expect that to come. <laughs> you and I might say that we love the people around us, but we, we need to know whether that's just talk. Okay? And so Jesus blesses us here by showing us our lack of love, not to make us feel guilty, not to make us feel bad, but to highlight it so that we're aware of where we fall short. So speaking of falling short, here's the second point. Jesus shows us this kind of neighboring to show us the full standard of loving our neighbor, to show us where the bar is actually set, right? Because love your neighbor sounds so easy, and Jesus is here to say, no, 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 it's not, it's not easy. It's actually really, really tough. If you first heard the story of the Good Samaritan as a child in Sunday school, you may easily have thought that the main point is be like the Good Samaritan, but the truth is that it's not wise, it's not prudent, and sometimes it's not even legal 
to be the Good Samaritan today? Did you know that sometimes being the Good Samaritan could get you thrown in jail today? Let's look back at verses 33 through 35, the, the meat of the Good Samaritan part. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where this man was, and when he saw him, he walked by on the other side. No, no, you know that's not how it goes. He had compassion. He went over to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I, and the Greek there makes it emphatic, I personally will pay you. Not, I'm going to make sure that someone covers it, but no, I personally, out of my own pocket, will pay you when I come back. So notice, the Samaritan finds someone unconscious on the side of the road, and he puts him on his animal and takes him away. If you were driving down the street, you saw someone unconscious on the side of the road, put him in your car, you drive off, that's kidnapping, right? You don't know that person. The Samaritan takes this guy to an inn, and he stays overnight with him. If you, take somebody, if you found someone in need of medical attention, you took him to a hospital, you know, people would understand that. And you take it to the hospital, and what's the first thing that they're going to ask you? Are you family? No. Okay, are you a friend? No. Well, do you have any acquaintanceship with this person? Not really. Okay, well, visiting hours end in a few minutes. You've got to get out of here. Now, I'm staying overnight with them. Right? That would, that would not make sense in today's society. Right? And then, last of all, let's talk about the money. You know, I already spilled water on the stage. I'm already committing a few taboos of preaching. Let's talk about money. Right? The Samaritan hands over two denarii. A denarius was worth a day's wage for a worker. So in New York State, minimum wage being $13.20, eight-hour day, it works out to about 100 bucks. This guy takes 200 bucks out of his own pocket and hands it over. And there is nothing in the text that says this guy is fabulously wealthy. Right? Now, if you and I ever stop for someone on this side of the street and we give them money, it's usually maybe up to 20 bucks. This guy does 10 times that. He gives it away. And then he leaves an open tab. It would be the equivalent of me reaching into my wallet, taking out a credit card and giving it to a stranger saying, just spend what you need. Right? Would anyone say that's a smart idea to do today? Just give your wallet away, someone else say, take what you need. But yet, if, a family me- if you were driving along and you saw a family member on the side of the road, or a friend, or your child, or your parents, you would do that in a heartbeat. See, the law says, love your neighbor as yourself, and we do love ourselves as ourselves. We don't love our neighbors that way, though. And so, the bar is set much higher than you and I can imagine. Jesus tells this story partly to show us that the Good Samaritan is not an achievable outcome. We're not supposed to be like the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan shows us where the bar is. He's up there at the bar. 
we're all below him. And even if you did act like the Good Samaritan on one occasion or two, you probably wouldn't do it every day of your life. Right? Think about what if this guy was married? What would his wife say when he came home a day late? You realize that he lost a day of travel, right, by staying overnight with this guy? Hey, honey, uh, you know the Jews? You know how we're not friends with them? Well, I found one on the side of the road, and I decided to stay overnight with him. Oh, and by the way, I gave him all of our money. I hope that's not a problem, right? If you actually acted like the Good Samaritan, people would think you were crazy. And so he's not supposed to be an image of what we have to attain. He's an image of what we would do if we lived with perfectly clean hearts. The Good Samaritan shows us that you can't love your neighbor as yourself because there's always room to grow. The Good Samaritan shows us that there's room to grow, which is that last point. Jesus shows us this kind of neighboring to invite us into a deeper love. Jesus tells the story for this guy, this man, this lawyer, to tear him down, to show him his lack of love, to show him where the bar is really set, to show him that he can't do this on his own. But Jesus also tells it in the hearing of his disciples and in our hearing in our text. This is not just for one guy, it's for us too. It's to build us up. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have a new relationship with the law. For people who don't know Jesus, the law of God, pretty much everything in the Bible is like a stick. Do this or I'm going to beat you. And they see God as the bad guy who's just waiting for you to mess up. But if you know Jesus, you know that he doesn't have a stick waiting for you. You know that you're loved and accepted You know that you're adopted as his child, and there's no situation in which God takes you back to the orphanage. You are his child. He signed the adoption papers in blood, his own blood. There is no take-backs on that. And so your relationship with the law is now carrot. Not stick, but carrot. Something to reach towards. And so since... You will always have room to grow in love for your neighbor. And since you have great, this is important, since you have grace when you fail, God's not mad at you when you don't love your neighbor well. There's grace. God is your Abba. He's your Father. Since there's grace when you fail, why not have some fun with loving your neighbor, with trying to grow in it? So let's go back to that test from the book. Okay, let's say that you don't know everyone on your block. Well, here's some good news, okay? It's summertime. There's never a better time to get to know your neighbors than during the summer. It would be creepy if in the middle of the winter you went knocking on doors. But in the summer, you can have a cookout, and instead of doing it in your backyard, you could do it in your front yard. Then everyone, as they're driving by, they see you with some stuff on the grill, and they roll down their windows, and you say, hey, you want to come over, get a bite? We'll just talk. By the way, I actually don't remember your name. Would you mind telling me your name again? There's still going to be plenty of warm days to grill. There's still going to be plenty of sports games that you could watch on your TV in your cavernous living room. And guess what? Across the street, there's probably somebody who's also wanting to watch the game, 
you could invite them to come over to your house and watch the game together. And even if you don't want to do that, there's plenty of other ways to make fresh introductions with people. I'm a teacher full-time. I'm a big fan of show of hands. So it's just a show of hands here. How many people have neighbors that you know are Muslim? Or Bosnian? Or Okay, not many. But if you find out, in the case of going and talking to people, that you do have neighbors who are Muslim, Muslims around the world began celebrating a special thing last night called Eid al-Adha, or the Feast of Sacrifice. It commemorates when Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his son, and so he was going to go through with it, and then God stopped him at the last second, provided a ram. And so Muslims celebrate that by getting a ram, having a big feast, giving presents away, being unusually hospitable. In the risk of making it very simplistic, it's basically Muslim Thanksgiving going on right now for the next few days. What if you went over with a plate of cookies or pie or something and said, hey, I heard you guys might be celebrating. I just wanted to be hospitable and give you something. That would make such a difference, wouldn't it? That would show such a heart for these people who live right next to you. And then maybe they'd invite you in and you could talk with them and say, hey, that story about the ram dying in our place, that's like Jesus. And you could go from there. Right? So that's, that's basically Thanksgiving. You guys know what comes after Thanksgiving, right? Christmas. I heard it on the side of the room. Christmas. What's happening two Sundays from today? It will be Sunday, July 24th, also known as Christmas in July, which I know is not a traditional church holiday. But you know what you could do on Christmas in July? You could bake some cookies. I'm in a, I'm in a real baking cookies mood. If you can't bake cookies, store-bought. And it's the thought that counts. Go to your neighbors who you haven't talked to in years or the neighbor that you've never talked to. Show up with a plate of cookies, say, hey, I'm celebrating Christmas in July. I just wanted you to have cookies. And they'd say, well, that's strange, right? How do you celebrate uh, Why are you celebrating? They're like, well, I, I want to celebrate Christmas without presents, without parties, without snow, without commercialism. And if your neighbor doesn't know Jesus, they might say, well, what, what's left, right? There's nothing to Christmas besides that. And you say, oh, yes, there is. There's Jesus. And he so loved me, and I so love you that I want you to have this plate of cookies. Even here in this church, right, if you don't know the names of the people around you, chances are if you sit in the same pew week after week, you're going to see the same people week after week after week. Wouldn't it be better to get to know them than to just smile and wave at them every once in a while? It would, be, it would be wonderful to get to know them. And then you might learn things about people that you didn't expect. We all have amazing stories. You see, this man asked what he needed to do to inherit eternal life, but if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're already there. You have it. You're going to get eternal life, whether you love your neighbor as well or not. 
But if you don't love your neighbors well, you're going to have kind of this sad, miserable, Scrooge-like hole in your heart. And Jesus loves you too much to let you go through the rest of your life alone like that. To not open your life to loving the people around you is a horrible, horrible thing. And so as Jesus gets to the end of the story, he asks the lawyer in the last verse, 36, which of these three, which of these three people, priest, Levite, Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Did you notice this guy doesn't say the Samaritan? He does not say the, the Samaritan. He says the one who showed him mercy. There's a little bitterness there, isn't there? This guy's not happy with Samaritans. This guy thinks, yeah, I love my neighbors so well. Hey, Jesus, why don't you tell me what you have to do to love your neighbors so that I can show you how well I'm doing. And if Jesus lived in the 21st century, he might have been a little more direct and said, well, what about that Samaritan? The guy would have gotten all defensive and we wouldn't have had this wonderful story. But Jesus doesn't leave him there with that bitterness. He says, you go and do likewise. He invites this guy to love the people that he does not like. There are people around the world who are starving for the gospel, but there are also people around the corner from you who are starving for that same gospel. And if you don't go to them, sure, maybe somebody else from another church will eventually make their rounds and get there. But God's inviting you to know the people you live by. And when we open ourselves to love our neighbors more deeply, we also open ourselves to receive love from them, even if it's from our own Samaritans. Manual Church, God is inviting you today to respond to his calling. Would you confess with me that we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves? And yet, nonetheless, call on him, call on our Father to show us how to love better. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are sinners. We confess that we have sinned against you in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds, both by what we've done, but also many times, God, but by what we haven't done. God, we have not loved you with all of our heart and all of our strength all of our might, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And so we deserve punishment from you. But you loved us enough to die for us on the cross. You loved us enough to cover us with your grace and your mercy. And so for that, we thank you. And we ask that again today, you would forgive us, renew us, and lead us to delight in your will, and to walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. Amen.